0: In the past, sometimes, you know, I may have felt a little bit, uh, I don't know, sluggish or just like a bit overloaded. Whereas doing this, I never felt like yuck and then waking up the next day, you know, I was still hungry enough to have um, breakfast prior to the race um, and still feel energized and good.
1: Hello and welcome to The Long Munch, the nutrition podcast for runners, cyclists and triathletes. My name is Alan McCubbin, I'm an accredited sports dietitian, researcher and lecturer in sports nutrition at Monash University in Melbourne. And I'm joined, as always, by my colleague from Monash, Steph Gaskell. How are things with you, Steph?
2: We are good, Alan. I am good, I should say. I always say we, and when I say we, I usually am referring to my dog and
1: myself. <laughs> well, you're myself. Sitting on your lap. <laughs> I,
2: yeah, I get told off about that, um, Cooper. So yeah, we had a bit of an adventure this morning. We went for our our walk and um and saw this another Cavoodle actually, um, looking very scruffy and mischievous and um, with no owner. So uh, yeah, we we picked him up and and tried to call the owner. And um, anyway, he ended up coming back to our house and hanging out with Coops, which I don't think Cooper liked seeing me give attention to a to another dog, and um, anyway, the owner eventually came with her young child, and he gave me a bunch of flowers, and they were all very chuffed that I um, looked after their dog. So that was that was yeah. my fun morning. Fair yeah. enough. Otherwise, kicking along, doing well, um, doing a bit of lecturing, tutoring at, at uni now that the, the students have gone back. So. So that's been fun doing some exercise gut stuff in the lab and just continuing on with with the study that I'm doing, which we still need to recruit for. So, yeah, sing out. Um, But also we we have uh, another study, um, which I might let you talk about.
1: Yeah, yeah, so it's not, well, originally it was going to be my study, but I've ended up having to do something else. So, uh, Zoya, one of our colleagues in the lab has taken this one over. It's a study looking at pre and probiotics um, and the effect on gut function and symptoms during exercise, uh, during running specifically. So, um, I mean, there's been a couple of studies in this area previously around... um, you know, sort of field-based studies, mm-hmm. uh, not a lot of lab stuff, mm-hmm. so it'll be really good um, to, to do that. So yep. yeah, if anyone's interested in, in trying some uh, pre- or probiotic supplementation, I think it's eight weeks from memory of supplementation, and then you come into the lab uh, and do the the running test. Um, yeah, so if anyone's interested in that, we've got the, um, the information about that up on our social media channels. So at the Long Munch on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. So if you have a look on there, you'll see the details uh, and Zoya's contact details there. So you can get in touch with her if you're interested in doing that study. Uh, or if you want to have an EGG, you can contact Steph about her study. Or if you want to run for five hours and look at sodium and sweat testing uh, and sodium replacement, then you can get in contact with me about my study. Uh, all running at the same lab, in, so you have to be in Melbourne, and they're all running studies, so mm. triathletes and, and runners essentially is what we're looking for. Uh, so we'll have the information about all three of those up on, on social media. Yep,
2: yeah, cool. And we our topic today is about carb loading and do I need to carb load? Yes, And now you've worked closely with a particular athlete in this area, did you want to let us know who we're going to be chatting to today and asking that question to?
1: Yeah sure, so it's episode 9b today, so it's our athlete focus. Um, So following on from Dr. Jose Areta who we had last week uh, and the athlete, uh, her name is Karen Hill, she's a, a mountain biker um based here in in victoria she's living down the coast at the moment Uh, and she competes in a variety of formats within mountain biking mainly sort of olympic cross country uh, and also the um, sort of the longer formats, so both stage racing and some of the mountain bike marathon, sort of the longer type events, you have 50 and 100 kilometre type races as well. Um, so she's been doing that for about five years or so at a, at a pretty high level, been sort of top five in Australian championships for the Olympic cross country format for, for most of that time. Um, and she's actually just down in Tasmania at the moment just having completed um, the national championships down there again for, for cross country. Uh, and I did a bit of work with her this season uh, for the, the races leading up and obviously for that event as well. Uh, and then she's just completed a stage race after those those national titles also down in Tasmania. So uh, yeah, the, the, um, the internet connection actually when we interviewed Karen to where she was staying in Tassie wasn't great uh so we had a, a bit of in and out um so we had to sort of do half the interview on one system and then half the interview on another system so you'll see our voices change a little bit halfway through but uh, i think we've managed to edit out, edit out a gloss over most of the glitches so it shouldn't really cut in and out on you It just might sound a bit weird when it suddenly changes halfway through yeah
2: yeah cool looking forward to hearing this one
1: yeah, absolutely. So it was really nice to have a chat to Karen, um, obviously, on, on what we did in terms of planning her car bloating, but then also, you know, from her perspective, how it all went, how she was able to execute it, what was good, what wasn't good about it, what things she sort of modified herself to kind of tweak it to, to what she needed. And then, obviously, you know, how that compared to, you know, what she'd done in the past prior to this season.
2: Yeah. So let's get stuck into it.
1: Yeah, sounds good. Karen Hill, welcome to the Long Munch. You're down in Tassie at the moment. How are things down there?
0: Thanks, Alan. I am. It's been a great trip. I think I've been over here for oh, I'll be nearly three weeks by the time I get home on Friday. So uh, definitely no complaints. The trails are awesome, and the racing's been really good. And the weather's been great too. <laughs> well,
1: that's good because we're we're getting the. Uh... We're not quite at the Noah's Ark style flooding that they're having up in Sydney but it's starting to get wet here in Victoria (laughs) but uh, I think you guys have managed to get away with it down there. Um, But tell us, you've been in Tassie as you said for um, two and a bit weeks now, Uh, tell us what you've been doing down there in terms of racing.
0: Yeah so came down, uh, had our cross-country national champs at Medina two weekends ago and yep. um so and then we actually had a dragon trail stage race which was run through um derby and went through to finish in St Helens uh yep. so we had three days of racing over some awesome trails there
1: yeah nice one and um national championships I saw the highlights there were I don't know if you've seen them yet Karen they're on SBS last weekend and I remember you telling me on email that that was a challenging race and now I know exactly what you meant it was like a, a slip and slide on wheels it was so muddy and just like muddy clay yeah just a slippery dip yeah. almost
0: it was it was definitely some of the craziest conditions I've ever raced in uh, there yeah. and you know practice had been beautiful sunny and warm and it was super, it was actually a little bit slippery with the sort of dusty conditions and and then the morning it was going to rain and it was raining a little bit and i just i don't know what i was thinking but i was like oh yeah a bit of rain you know it'll settle the dust a little bit and um it just turned to slop i didn't change tires or anything and it was just you know so it was essentially just you just had to run whatever you had and um, stop a lot. It just kind of felt like out of that race, you know, a lot of the time was spent banging mud out of your cleats to try and clip back in or clearing mud so your tire could still spin. Um, but, you know, you kind of just have to laugh about it and keep going. It was just sort of mm. just keep moving forward as much as you could and doing whatever you could.
1: Yeah, and sort of what I saw on the the highlights, it it looked like, I don't know if anyone else changed their tyres, but it didn't look like it was helping them very much.
0: No, I think probably really the only person, um, Beck, she'd ended up putting mud tyres on just before the start of it. But I think, um, you know, racing in Europe as much as she has with um, and having that experience in those conditions um you know she's just next level and to watch some of that it's pretty amazing
1: um to sort of see yeah absolutely uh, and the highlight for me uh, you, you'll get a good laugh out of this there's footage have you seen the highlights yet karen
0: no okay nah.
1: there's a there's a, a bit of footage in there where i think you ride into the cameraman oh did i do you do you <laughs> remember that or, or you must have got really close to him and uh, <laughs> You obviously got a bit of a shock because uh, you let out a bit of an expletive, which is beeped out in the highlights package. And my kids were watching, and my five year old oh, no. was like, "Did she go ding dong? Did she hit the doorbell, Daddy?" Because <laughs> it's like beep.
0: <laughs> I haven't actually watched it. Um,
1: yeah.
0: Yeah, I'll have to. Yeah, I'll have to have a look at that because I can I can't really remember. Um, where they were on course, because there was a few camera people on course and it was sort of just like slipping and sliding everywhere.
1: Yeah, yeah, no, it looked pretty crazy. <laughs> but at the end of the day, you, you managed to get yourself onto the podium, third place. Was that uh, about what you, was that sort of uh, better than expectations around what you expected? How has the race pan out from that point of view?
0: Yeah, so. Um, definitely met expectations uh this time around we went in uh, went in aiming to get on the podium um this time around and sort of probably put more into this prep than i sort of have done um at any other time and you know last year I was maybe a little bit cooked um, heading in international so I I had a good race last year but sort of didn't really end up where um, we sort of knew that I could and so this year sort of going into I guess in some ways COVID um, probably played into my favour a little bit in terms of not being able to travel as much um, in the lead up to it and then you know put a lot more into my nutrition side of things and and you know put a big focus into that um and and that made um a massive difference sort of i'd probably um power to weight ratio wise is probably the best that i've sort of gone into a nationals race and and you know i was in a really good place um fitness wise nutrition wise um mentally and emotionally and just sort of really relaxed actually heading into it and just um wanted to have as much fun um as i could so it sort of all um all went pretty well to plan um you know from from what i could control um and you know the weather and courses and things like that is, are all out, out of out of my control. So it's just we're we're all dealt with the same thing on the day. So it's just um, yeah, show up, ride your bike, and have fun.
1: Yeah, exactly right. I then you've just done the the Dragon Trail stage race uh, just over the weekend just gone, um, and I know when you showed me the website for that, I was like, oh geez, this looks like a fun race. I wish I could go there. Um, yeah, <laughs> was it as fun as you expected?
0: Yeah, definitely. Um, I actually was expecting it to be a little bit easier than it was, to be honest, um, Mm. on paper, you know, it didn't really look that bad and, um, but they set us off in 10 second intervals. So essentially it was like a time trial every day. And, Mm. um, And, you know, the first day they set, you know, set us off. We did the prologue to um, get our placing for that. And then I kind of accidentally won that. So I was going first off for the girls and they sent the first 30 guys off and then then lined up all of us girls and we all went off in our 10-second intervals. And so you kind of just, you know, 10 seconds isn't that far and you can sort of, catch glimpses of the person behind you so you're just riding as fast as you can for you know that 50 odd K and um and I ended up sort of getting a good gap on that first day I think I sort of finished about five minutes ahead um of the girls over that first day and um and then because I was then sort of separated from them for the following stages you know you still have to essentially time trial for the whole stage because you don't know where anyone is or how close Mm. the other girls are or anything like that so um but like i had an absolute ball the trails were amazing and you know the event um for their first year with that sort of thing went off um really well and um i think stage racing is probably you know my favorite format to race like that and you've got you know, the camps and, you know, everything else afterwards and you can catch up with people, you know, at the different stage races and um, stuff like that. And I just felt really good um, Mm. for the whole thing. So, yeah, thoroughly enjoyed it and highly recommend riding those trails in those locations. Um,
1: Mm. Yeah, some of my school friends went down to Derby earlier in the year and and I think almost all of them except for one came back with um, significant wounds or injuries (laughs) of some sort.
0: (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but yeah, that's all right seems to, seems to claim a f- few victims there yeah yeah
2: mm. yeah so um our question uh, is do i really need to carb load um and as you've been working with um, alan in this area for for Uh, while I think Um, we thought who better than to to get you on and um, and see how it's all panned out for you so um, you you race across I guess some different formats in in mountain biking from less than an hour to sort of your multiple hour events and and stage events Um, so so what events do you decide to deliberately increase your carb intake the the day before are there sort of particular events that you kind of key into for that
0: yeah so with I've actually been doing it for so our cross-country format which is sort of anywhere from an hour and a half to well nationals was two hours but usually they'd be an hour and a half to sort of an hour 45 uh and then you know the stage racing and, uh, and any of the marathon races as well, which can be anywhere, you know, from that sort of four to six hour um, mark. And, um, and that has been like that deliberate approach before those.
2: So, so what's your, your approach been for this traditionally? Um, So I guess, um, yeah, prior to perhaps looking at, at carb loading um what what did you do prior did Mm. did you do that before working with Alan so
0: yes and no it was and it's kind of the thing uh having the knowledge and knowing what to do but then actually doing it properly for myself um I just had never have done like it's always been you know a half-hearted Effort um, in terms of doing it for myself, and it was part of the reason uh, why I wanted to um, work with Alan, in especially in the lead up to these events. And so, you know, I've never, I've done it in the past, and I've sort of known what to do, but I've never done it properly, if that makes sense. Um, And and just having the structured approach and and being able to just follow something that uh is super easy um i can you know have you know you know what to do the day before and it makes it um really easy so traditionally um it's sort of been kind of i'd probably have more protein and fat associated with that carb loading day whereas the days now are specifically you know much more carbohydrate focused in that lead up to it um, or in that day before so um it's it has really helped um and i've actually found um the carb loading days is pretty easy because you know if i've sort of been following you know the days leading into it and um then I actually find those carb- carbohydrate loading days actually feel a lot better. And, you know, race mornings and stuff, I feel a lot better um, as well. And I think it really balanced – it sort of – I felt a lot more balanced over the three months even leading up to it, even though I've been dropping quite a bit of weight. Um, I've still felt really energized um, and really strong and, you know, and even – dropping weight, my powers have been increasing um, consistently over that three months as well. So um, it's actually been really beneficial.
2: Did you um, just go straight into um, the carb loading on race day or did you end up practising it in, in some of your training?
0: Um, no, I do practice it in training <laughs> and I just love it <laughs> because the, when – uh, I first got the carb loading day off Alan. I was uh, in, I was sort of in a pretty big training block and I did the first day and I was really hungry um, <laughs> after the day. And so I emailed Alan and cause I have, so throughout that day, I have a couple of um, just like the carbohydrate bottle, uh, like fluids
2: Drinks.
0: and yep. rather than. Just trying to eat all the solids, and mm. sort of just stuck to what I'd what I'd followed and what I had, and I thought, oh, am I supposed to be this hungry? And I messaged Alan. I was like, can I like swap out some of the some of the water, like some of the bottles and liquids, for some more solids. And I was like, I think you're the only person who has ever been hungry on a carbohydrate-loading day.
1: (laughs) You were too efficient to plan.
0: But, but it actually changed over over the time like that after that first time I did it and, I, and then I had a few other options for being able to swap out some liquids and some solids and I actually played around with the day um, a, a couple of different times. So sort of had a couple of big training rides um, in the lead up. I think I did because I did Otway Odyssey and uh, and so I'd had a few big training days in the lead up to that that i could practice with as well and i actually found that as i kind of got a little bit lighter that i wasn't i sort of had to stick to a little bit more liquids throughout that day um but it also depended how nervous i was the day before a race whether i could eat more solids or not so i can't say that i did exactly the same thing more than once but having that structured sort of approach and knowing what i could swap in and out then depending how i actually felt on that day meant i was still getting that same amount of carbohydrates but i may actually have more solids or i may have more liquids um depending on how i felt Mm
1: -hmm. yep
2: yep
0: and it's definitely you'll
1: be so happy because you're always telling people you must, must, must practice it in training before you get to race day. And here's the perfect example where Karen's done it multiple times in training before race day and then had several lead up races, I guess, before nationals, which I guess was the the big goal for the year, um, to to try it out in some Mm. of those, um, I guess, quote unquote, less important races. Yeah.
2: Mm. And it sounds like you did, um, did you guys end up doing like um was it a couple days prior to um the event or was it like was it a 24 hour a 36 hour 48 hour approach or did that vary depending on the event
0: no so i stuck with the one approach but also found leading into say an event like nationals because you're tapering so much as well um and, and previously, like i would sort of really struggled with tapers in terms of just training load dropping, but still being really hungry and, and things like that. But I found just having the approach and um, and that sort of structure to follow, I was actually a lot more balanced coming into this, that taper as well. And I didn't need any more than that sort of one day um yep. you know and it may differ like but even for the stage race uh like i'd sort of stuck to that one day but then i'd also like we'd sort of spoke with alan about um what eating through that stage race looked like mm-hmm. um in terms of you know carbohydrate replacement and everything like that um which you know which act which worked really well like were well, you a little bit fatigued to still really energized. so um for, for that, for cross-country, um, sort of that Olympic format racing, I don't think you need to do any more than um, that sort of 24-hour period, especially with the taper into it as well. Um, mm. You know, if it was maybe multiple, much longer days over, you know, over a stage race, um, you know, if you're looking at maybe five or seven days but, you know, you're on the bike for, I don't know, you know, anywhere two to four hours a day maybe and, and, and needing to back that up, it may then um, you may then need to look at a longer leading period with the carbohydrate loading. Um, but for the races that I've just had, that was enough.
2: Yep, yep. And um, so it kind of sounds like you, from what you've said, um, you know, you, you tried out the plan and then, you know, you noticed you were feeling a bit hungry. So you kind of had some alternative options of, you know, if you're a, a bit hungrier you could kind of maybe exchange some of the fluid options for the solids um, for some solid options was there um are there any other changes or tweaks that you have made to the carb loading plan um when it was originally designed that you kind of tweaked along um, from what you learned out learned in training or have you kind of that's been the main change has been the hunger thing that was, uh, that was pretty
0: much the only change uh, that I made. And it was sort of, that was enough because what I would had in the lead up to it and um, there was nothing else really that I needed to change from that. Like all the food options that I had were, pretty, were things that, you know, I was eating in training anyway and I really like lollies. So it was a good opportunity. <laughs> to eat (laughs) lollies and um and so there was nothing else that I needed to tweak with Mm -hmm. that sort of thing so um it's sort of like I felt good on the day like I never really felt you know in the past sometimes like before uh this one with Alan, you know, I may have felt a little bit, uh, I don't know, sluggish or just like a bit overloaded by the end of the day, Mm -hmm. whereas doing this in the amount of carbohydrates that I had throughout that day, I never felt like yuck or, Mm -hmm. you know, that sort of feeling. Um, Mm -hmm. So I always still felt good and then waking up the next day, you know, I was still hungry enough to have um breakfast prior to the race um and still feel energized and good on that day so i didn't really need to make any other changes with it it su- it just suited me and
2: my body well yep and and it sounds like i might shoot this one to alan just to mm-hmm. to clarify for people as well but it sounds like to me that the um the carb loading plan was um m- on the theme of um, like low residue fiber and potentially yeah. low FODMAP is that right Alan?
1: Yeah exactly right um, and I tend to do that for the majority of people I work with these days um, obviously you know you've done that study Steph looking at low FODMAP the 24 hours before exercise and well it's not the, the ultimate panacea or the, the ultimate cure for gut problems during exercise it certainly uh, can, can reduce them um, mm-hmm. and you know not everyone is going to have that issue or need to, to do it but I guess when you've got limited time and opportunity to prepare it's kind of well, it's an easy thing to do um, and it may be helpful it may not but mm-hmm. um, there's there's no you know harmful effect of doing that so why wouldn't you kind of thing mm-hmm. uh, and I find too that I think a lot of people just prefer like I guess one of the biggest things um, would be to use say rice instead of pasta as the main sort of starchy food at at the main meals. Um, and a lot of people just, you know, whether it's a FODMAP issue or not, they just find it, it works better for them. It's easier to eat the volume of food as well with rice. You know, mm-hmm. you can eat more for the same feeling of satiety or fullness, mm-hmm. I suppose. Mm-hmm. Um, do you find that as well, Steph?
2: Mm. Yeah, I think so. Like I think um, it's just that kind of for some people it's that bloatingness feeling mm. and if we're filling them up on a lot of the you know the wheat the pasta which generally people do do, um, and can also be fodmap heavy um, that, that can be that can be a thing and and like not all athletes um, enjoy the sort of the gluten-free pasta options let's say or the the other options or it's not as easy to it to access so rice is yeah. kind of a nice easy one and rice is also you know one of the safest type of options from a gut symptom kind of perspective too so it does just tend to sit well it's very portable as as well so yeah very common in terms of the the response that that i would get as well and same thing like in terms of the comment that you've said karen about you feeling hungry um like i get that feedback as well when they're doing this low residue because we're just Mm. not putting that bulk in there like it just doesn't feel as 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 heavy um, which is actually what we're wanting. So I guess in a way when, when you're coming to us saying you're feeling a bit hungry, like, I don't know, it's kind of, well, you, you kind of can just because of that, that perspective as well, I think.
0: I think so because even, you know, even after that day and, you know, that training session and stuff the next day, even though I felt hungry, carbohydrate loading, you know, I still had the energy and everything else
2: to be able to perform. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Which is awesome. Yeah. And did you kind of feel like, because um, we get a lot of feedback um, when we're developing these carb loading plans, that um, athletes feel like they're kind of just eating a whole heap of sugar um, and refined stuff? Um, did did that? Um, kind of shock you at first when you I guess started carb loading like because I guess normally you know we're used to eating you know nice wholesome foods and then when we develop this carb loading plan which tends to be a bit more refined it can kind of shock um, people did did you ever have that experience not really
0: Uh, I'm kind of pretty aware you know sometimes eating for performance and eating for health can be two very different things, and it's not something that is a long term thing. And it's more so, you know, looking for that energy availability, um, more so than those high fiber foods um, at that time. So I don't. Know, I guess having that awareness, and it, but it does like you know comments sometimes that you will get. Oh, you eat lollies, or mm. you know <laughs> that sort of thing, um, but. It's, sometimes I think it's just a lack of awareness and um, of that sort of thing that people I guess don't always understand that you know what what you do when you're trying to perform or fuel your body for a certain event is very different you know if you're not doing that activity um, or you know you're in a different phase of training or something like that um, where you may not need it. So
2: yeah, definitely. Yeah, it's yeah.
0: more so probably sometimes
2: the questions that you get yep um Mm. anything else you want to add alan as well in terms of developing the the carb loading plan for karen
1: yeah i mean I, i think yeah a lot of what you were saying before is is very much the philosophy that we went in with and you know historically i guess people would have used like a lot of as you said bread and pasta and things like that for carb loading over the years um and you know, you often get the feedback that people feel like they're just pouring concrete in their stomach all day, just the volume of food and, um, you know, the fibre can add up really quickly, even though you don't intend it to. Um, and so you've got to be really wary of that stuff. And I think, um, you know, both you and I, as we've worked with athletes over the year, have been very conscious of that as you know, a potential barrier to people meeting their carbohydrate needs with carb loading and deliberately gone very much the other way um, uh, to the point where now, you know, as you said, and, and you know, Karen experienced as well, people are now actually getting hungry as a result of the carb loading plan because just the bulk of the food isn't isn't there. Um, mm. But as you said before, it's probably more comfortable for people to go in that way and, and have to work back the other direction a little bit by adding in some bulk mm. rather than, the other way where people often get to like you know two or three in the afternoon and they find they've only met you know a quarter of their carbohydrate needs and they're like i just feel so full and terrible i couldn't eat anymore and yet mm. i'm only a quarter of the way there what am i going to do kind of thing mm. uh which is a very common um experience i guess that people have with carb loading if they um sort of pluck the the number and and you know eight grams per kilo ten grams per kilo whatever it is and then just try and do that without having a, a real strategy around it, I suppose. Mm, um, yep. And just to, to give you a bit of an idea in, t- in terms of numbers, because I got Karen's plan in front of me here. Um, about ninety grams of protein, so it's not super low in protein, but no. it's certainly not high. Um, Twenty six grams of fat, so it is very low in fat. Yeah. Um, or just over eight, or between eight and eight and a half grams per kilo of carbs. So, yeah. um, so it's probably at the low to moderate end of the spectrum in terms of what you would define as carb loading. And um, I guess you know, being female as well, mm. uh, we know that probably the the amount that you can sort of super compensate glycogen wise is a little bit less in females than it is male. So generally, I I'd probably uh, stick to to the lower end of that. Uh, and as you said, you know, very low in fiber, only ten mm. grams of fiber for the whole day. Mm, um, yeah. so they're probably the sort of the key headline figures there
2: yep yep yeah that's good that's good to be able to get it down that low in terms of fiber too so mm. yep yep um, yeah and and I guess the other thing that can be good for carb loading perspective is um, you know when they do that well they're also getting a bit more hydrated too uh, from yes from being able to store that extra the extra carbs as well
1: yeah, and what I always say to athletes is, if you're going to be drinking the fluid to make sure you're well hydrated, if you're not getting carbohydrate in that fluid, you're basically having to do two different things. Mm. You might as well put them both in the one package and hit two birds with one stone, so That's to speak. Thing. Yep. Um, it's just going to make your life so much easier and again, reduce that volume of food that you have to consume, particularly for people who are, um, you know, say working an office job, fairly sedentary most of the time, and so they're just not used to eating that quantity of food. Be- unless they're doing that volume of training regularly. Mm,
2: mm -hmm. Yep, Yeah, Karen, can you tell us what difference did you find uh, in terms of when you implemented the the carb loading plan prior to your races? Um, What difference you found in terms of your racing?
0: Yeah, so I think the biggest difference was having consistent energy across the race. Um, and not like still obviously for the longer races needing to eat through that race as well. But, um, you know, doing that, I had consistent energy. Um, I actually didn't find that I really cramped anywhere near as bad either Um, Like because I'd done another long race maybe just before I'd started with, Alan I hadn't carb loaded for that one properly and um, you know I had had issues so with cramping and stuff in the past and I hadn't had any of those issues sort of once I had started carb loading as well
2: yeah.
0: and um, but then also recovery
2: mm-hmm. after
0: that as well so sort of you know beforehand feeling a lot more energised um, and even, I guess, from a mental perspective going into that race, uh, knowing that, you know, that you have the energy for it
2: mm-hmm.
0: maybe yep. and, you know, and feeling good and feeling strong going into that race while still having that sort of, I guess, feeling of lightness in a way um, and, and just you know that you didn't really have to worry about energy through through that race as much. So it was just having that consistency of energy um, really through a lot of the racing.
2: Yeah. Cool. Yep. Yep. And any um, tips or advice that you um, that you want to share with the listeners in terms of what you've yeah gained out of this experience.
0: Yeah, so I think the biggest thing, obviously, is is practice it before um, race day. Also, practicing it uh, with some, I guess, sort of you know, B be kind of races as well, not just um, you know doing it in in training, but also having some practice races because mm-hmm. you know the the feeling of it. In a training block compared to the taper, um, you know, tapering and then carb loading was a little bit different. Just in terms of hunger levels and how yeah. how you're going to, um, I guess, how your body's going to respond to that mm-hmm. um, was really really helpful. And having a few different options for for that liquids and solids depending on, I guess, how you're feeling and knowing. Um, and really, sort of listening to your body a little bit in terms of what you're going to have. And the other thing I think is really focusing on that carbohydrate and and that sort of old thing where it's not just eating a lot of food and really um, trying to keep that um, fat and protein content down as well. Um, yep. And and that yeah, I think that would be you know they would be. The biggest things there, and and that low fodmap um, and low like low fiber, low fodmap sort of thing through that day, um, and just being able to maintain that feeling of lightness um, throughout it was something that um, I really sort of, I guess, probably learned a lot more from, and and quite enjoyed as well. So, um, and actually, carbohydrate loading for the right races can make a I found has made a really big difference.
2: Yeah. Awesome. Yep. Mm. Um, And you didn't, um, I think that's a, like a really good message that you gave as well in terms of, um, uh, you know, like practicing it in training can be, you know, even different to when you're doing it racing, because obviously in your training, like you're just, your training load can still be quite heavy. Um, so you probably, you know, um, I don't know, your appetite can vary for people depending on how hard they're training. And then, like you said, when you're going into a race, you do have that taper. So um, that experience of appetite and hunger can be quite different. So, yeah, I think that's really good advice there to try and plan, um, practice it in some B races too yeah. for your A race. Yeah. yeah, yep. yep. Um, and you didn't find it too hard logistically or anything?
0: Not at all. So I actually, <laughs> I was actually camping uh, the night before nationals, and ah. so you yep. know, I um, I went super super simple. Um, everything you know was really easy to do and, and and transportable, and you know, I didn't need anything you know specific for for that day um and so I could do everything pretty much at a campsite just um out of the esky and, and and some hot water pretty much um so you know you can and I think it's probably other things actually working with Ellen it was done um to you know foods that you, you know I ate in training and, and that I would use anyway so nothing was um greatly different I think if people, you know, haven't done it much before, you know, asking questions so they understand what you're doing and why you're doing it, um, rather mm-hmm. than just just doing it as mm-hmm. well, and and making sure that the foods sit comfortable with you and that you're using foods that you're comfortable with, as well, um, I think can be important. So, so it was it was super easy, and I figure if I can do it, camping at a campsite mm-hmm. and i did everything super basic and super simple um then you know it ticks all the boxes and it can be done anywhere
2: yep yep yeah yeah that's a good plan that's
1: and good. i think they're, they're both um, super important messages that you just gave there karen um, you know one around the logistical piece because usually not always but usually if you're racing you're probably away from home somewhere whether that's, you know, in a mountain biking sense like you were you know, away camping somewhere or it might be in a hotel or an apartment that doesn't have cooking facilities if you're traveling interstate, for example, for a race or, or overseas. Mm. Um so that that logistic part's always going to be important in terms of thinking about what's available, what equipment and facilities you have available, uh if it's in another country, it may be foods where you don't you can't read the packaging and all those sorts of things. So it does um, you make that important, and as you said the other thing is the the familiar familiarity um and sometimes people sort of grumble a bit and oh it's a bit plain it's a bit boring it's a bit simple and it's like well that's kind of the point is mm-hmm. that you want it to be familiar you want it to be simple uh, yes it can be a little bit repetitive but it's only for a day or two um and you'd much rather that than trying to introduce something exotic that that goes pear-shaped mm.
0: yeah yeah definitely and I think sometimes it's you know for those days leading into it especially it's sort of um i had no issues with the taste or anything like that but i sort of it's it's more so i guess um the purpose behind it and it's fueling your body and serving a purpose for, mm. for those couple of days um and it's probably more of a focus on that rather than um the flavor although mm. you make it all simple and taste great anyway so yep. Yep. yeah it's a win-win
1: yeah Round time <laughs>
0: awesome
1: all right so this is where we find out a little bit more about you karen we've already found a little bit uh about you but anyone who follows you on on instagram or maybe facebook will notice your really distinctive cycling kit do you want to tell us a little bit about that kit where it came from what it's all about and is it a unique kit or is it something that that other people can get or is it something that's just been designed for you
0: so I had um, I've had that kit made up. Uh, so it represents like my Torres Strait Island heritage, and I had a um, Torres Strait Island artist um, do the artwork, um, and yeah. he did he did the artwork, and then I had the team at Quarry Australia. Um, they sort of put it together in the kit um, with Shram and um, Rio Travel and. Uh, Sort of logos on that and then also the free the flag um, Kit uh, free the flag logo, um, which is sort of about the Aboriginal flag um, And and the copyright issues um, Associated with that at the moment. So the kit really represents um, like communities and and I guess all the people that sort of help Um, help you all, you know, sport and bike riding especially can be quite an individual sport. There's always, you know, a massive um, community behind that and, and sort of the blues and greens represent the ocean and um, that sort of, you know, somewhere that I guess is pretty special to me and, um, and then it just has the mountains and um, through it as well. So that's sort of, it's sort of all connected back to, back to community and family and, you know, nothing is separated um, within life. And and so it's pretty special, you know, to be able to um, put that on um, and ride and race in that. So it's something, um, I didn't really realize I got it done and then heaps of people have sort of asked about, asked about it and um, and wanted, like wanted it as well but i i haven't really got any um anything additional or any additional ones made up yeah yeah cool
1: well it's certainly very distinctive and and as Mm. you said i think everyone sort of recognizes it and and recognizes you when you're wearing it so it's great to be able to have that and then you know to have that story and that connection with it that you can then you know tell people about when they ask which is fantastic yeah if you could do anything besides what you're doing now, which obviously is riding bikes an awful lot, uh, particularly mm-hmm. on dirt, but occasionally on the road as well, um, and obviously, you know, you work with the Aboriginal Employment Unit, but if you had your, your choice and a magic wand and you decided to do something else, what do you think you'd do?
0: Uh, hobby-wise, I'd probably, well, I'm already doing it, but I'd probably surf. Oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> And spend quite a bit of time, well, I sort of do that now, but spend a bit of time in the ocean um, or generally anything outdoors or probably trail run. So it was like if I couldn't mountain bike, then I'd trail run because that would kind of be the next closest thing Mm -hmm. to that. Mm -hmm. Um, I figure I always need like some form of mountain and some kind of ocean. Mm -hmm. And if I've got that, I'm pretty happy.
1: Yeah, and you did a bit of trail running. Was it last year or the year before?
0: Yes, actually. Uh, it might have been the year before. We mm. so didn't have a mountain bike, you know, for a short period. And I did a fundraiser run for the Bob Brown Foundation uh, over, which is actually just on the weekend, just gone, um, to raise money for their Takaina um. Tukina, um program and foundation that they're doing because it's like the second oldest rainforest um, temperate rainforest in Australia and they're sort of trying to log that Um, and so they do a run uh, through that each year and they have the ultra and I think I did the 21k because I wasn't allowed to do the ultra because i would never done an ultra before so yeah so I did that um, and I do do a little bit of running in like my off season as well Um, so I do a little bit of that, but I'd probably do
1: more. Yep. 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 Fair enough. (laughs) Um, Any places? I mean, obviously, you've you've traveled around a fair bit with with your riding. I know you've been over to Canada and and done the BC race over there, for example. But are there any races or or places that you've always wanted to go and ride, but you haven't had the chance as yet?
0: Yep. I think um, one I'd like. I'd love to go to Bhutan (laughs) um, and. And they have a race over there called uh, Tour of the Dragon, I think it is. Um, and it's it's a one day event, but it is something like I don't know, close to like sort of two hundred k. You start really early in the morning, and it's not so much a mountain bike race, but it um, it just sounds like an epically hard sort of uh, adventure ride to do and that country being I think it's classified as one of the happiest countries um in the world and I kind of figure you know it would be an awesome place to go and check out um and also go over for that ride as well and I guess there and then um I'd also love to do some stage races in Italy um they have a couple of really good ones good ones over there as well yeah awesome
1: yeah nice um any other i mean you sort of mentioned the, the trail running before but any other sports that you sort of seen and gone oh wow I wouldn't mind giving that a go um
0: outside of probably running and surfing uh i'd or i'd probably actually do a bit of cro- <laughs> a bit of crossfit or um i sort of like to do a few different things do a bit of weightlifting and stuff anyway um or strength based training I would do probably more of that. Yeah.
1: Because I know your sister competes in um, Strongman, doesn't she?
0: Yeah, she used to. Um, She doesn't do much of it at the moment. I'd probably actually do a bit more motorbike riding sort of stuff as well. Mm. Um, She sort of picked up a bit of that. Generally going fast on two wheels is pretty fun. (laughs) Um, (laughs) So, yeah, it's sort of, it'd be a pretty good combination of, you know, Either motorbike riding, weight surfing, trail running, yeah, but it's just
2: yeah, crossfit, crossfit, sorry, yeah, 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 fair enough.
1: All right, um, one thing you always have to take with you when you're travelling, something to read always. Yeah,
0: anywhere uh, you know, sitting around, held up. Um, I'd always take probably a book to read and a journal to write in.
1: Yeah, are you a? Yeah. Uh, uh, a real real book person or a kindle person
0: i'm a real book person i've yeah i've tried occasionally i'll even if i'm doing a lot of driving i'll have some audio books Mm -hmm. but um i can't and i know there's like the luggage weight limit things but there's nothing compares to reading a real book yeah yeah Yeah. so i just go with the extra weight limits and take
1: real books (laughs) <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Fair enough. All right. Um, is there anything that you know now that you wish you knew when you were younger?
0: Probably, um, it'd be that just doing what you want to do, and um, I do a lot more of that now. And just probably not caring so much about other people's opinions when you you know you want to do things, but maybe you don't do it because of someone else's opinion, and now it's like it doesn't even matter. And if you started doing that from a much younger age, life could be just as amazing from earlier
1: on. Yep. Yep. Fair enough. Well said. Uh, And final one, any sort of key philosophy or or motto that you live by? It's uh,
0: generally laughter is the best medicine. Yep. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, Always... um, always sort of goes along with that, like if a good laugh doesn't fix anything,
2: um, then, you know, nothing will fix it. Yep. Yeah. So when you do some pretty impressive stacks, as long as you laugh, it's it's all good.
0: <laughs> yeah, yes. And you know, if you can get up and laugh about it, yep. then you know it's um it's never that bad. Yeah. Yeah. At all. Yeah. And um yeah, you've got to be able to laugh at yourself. And laugh at other people because sometimes you you do the you have the dumbest stacks and um yep. you know it's pretty funny. Yeah. It's pretty funny, you know, <laughs> doing that sort of stuff. And if you can laugh at yourself, then I figure you can laugh at other people too when that happens. Yeah. Yep.
1: Yeah, fair enough. Well, certainly uh, my impression is I I can't actually think of a time that I haven't seen a big smile on your face, Karen, apart from when you were swearing at the cameraman and my son was asking what that (laughs) doorbell sound was. It's probably the only time I haven't seen you smile in my life. (laughs) So, um, yeah, I think you definitely definitely live up to that
2: one. I'm going to have to watch that.
1: Yeah, it's on SBS on demand. So you can
2: I think yeah. I'm going to watch it too now. I think, yeah. we're all, I think all the listeners. Are I know. Get-
1: <laughs> yeah. Awesome. All right. Well, thanks so much for your time, Karen. It's great to have a chat to you. Um, great to hear like a nice, I guess, case study for a lack of a better term about sort of carbohydrate loading and how that's implemented uh in in reality and and some of the factors that go into to making that either more easy for yourself or more difficult for yourself so yeah thanks so much for your time and um i know it's pretty much the end of your mountain bike season so uh enjoy a bit of time off and a bit more bit more time in the ocean trail running
2: yeah
0: yes definitely no thanks for having me um and sharing that
2: Awesome, that was so good uh, by Karen and it's good to have a a cyclist on the podcast as well Uh, and yeah, it sounds like she has, you know, benefited from having a, you know, a bit more of a a plan and structure with her carbohydrate loading and working with you. Um, So are you able just to guess sum up what we have learned uh, over the two episodes, I guess, in terms of you know, whether uh, being a, a runner, a cyclist or a triathlete, uh, what we need to consider when we're thinking about carb loading.
1: Yeah, yeah. So as you said, some really great practical feedback, I guess, from Karen in, in today's episode. But if we go back uh, to the the previous one with, with Jose as well, so, you know, the question, do I really need to carb load? I guess the question is, depending on what the event is, how long it is, the sort of intensity you're going to be doing, but if you're sort of looking at you know one and a half hours plus of, of pretty hard work, then probably, yes, there's a benefit to it. Uh, when we start to get into the really long ultra-endurance kind of stuff, it, it's hard to say because it's really hard to study. Uh, so most people tend to, to go on the side of, well, it's not going to be harmful, so we may as well do it uh, just in case, but not necessarily knowing how beneficial it's going to be. Um, Then we think about the practical aspects of it. What are we aiming for? It's sort of 8 to 10 grams of carbs for every kilo of body weight. Some people even can go as high as 12. Um, That translates into an awful lot of carbs and therefore an awful lot of food. Uh, And so the real practical challenge is how do you get that amount of carbohydrate in without the volume of food just being so overwhelming uh, and, and really struggling to tolerate it gut-wise. Uh, and so I think, you know, some of the strategies that um, that, that Karen's done, uh, we talked about today, um, really show how it can be done uh, without making it such a burden on your gut and, and making it really hard to, to tolerate. So, you know, Choosing things that are that are low-fat, choosing things that are reasonably low-protein, low-fiber, um, so I guess the more refined and processed things, if you like. Um, using liquids as a vehicle to get carbohydrate in. I mean, if you're drinking a certain volume of fluid, you might as well get the carbohydrate in that, otherwise you've got to drink that volume and eat additional food to get the carbohydrate as well. So um, the thing that Karen was talking about, she talked about that carbohydrate drink and and what it was was just basically water with maltodextrin added to it. So maltodextrin is basically just pure carbohydrate powder. Um, It's sort of halfway between a starch and a sugar, so it doesn't taste sweet at all. It doesn't really taste like anything really, Um, but it's a very common ingredient that's used in, in some sports drinks, but particularly in things like gels. Uh, It's what the main carbohydrate ingredient used within those. So you can add a a whole bunch of that to a bottle of water. It doesn't taste sweet at all, so it doesn't have that really sickly kind of taste to it. Um, Really easy to drink, and you can just sort of sip on that in between meals. Um, over the morning or the afternoon or, or the evening or something like that. And it's an easy way, you know, if you do one of those in the morning, one of those in the afternoon and one of those at night, um, you know, three bottles of water, which you might have anyway the day before a race, it's an, you can easily get in, you know, almost 200 grams of carbohydrate just in those three bottles. So it's, it's a really easy way to do it without feeling, you know, flavour fatigue from the sweetness or without feeling you know, overwhelmed by the volume of food. Um And then the other things that we talked about was obviously the more refined um, breads and cereals. Uh, again, you know this is not about eating for health. This is only something you do one or two days a year. It's not going to give you diabetes or cancer or anything like that in that short time frame um so it's it's perfectly fine to do for that that short period of time um, and you're going to be using that all up the next day anyway. Um, so they're pretty much the kind of strategies that we use to do that. Obviously, with Karen, it was so successful that she ended up being hungry. and We had to add more solid foods back in, um, but you know, for most people, the struggle is the other way around. They're trying to reduce the volume down, and, and that's probably the easiest way to do it. Anything else, Steph, uh, in terms of strategies that you use when working with athletes uh, that you would add to that in terms of carb loading to, to reduce the, the burden in terms of the amount of food or the volume? You
2: pretty much covered it, and then mm-hmm. the only other thing which you you had done as well is potentially with particular individuals, I may reduce the the total FODMAP content, which are just mm. types of fermentable carbohydrates, and mainly I guess for a couple of reasons there that it, it um, for people can influence IBS-like symptoms, uh, so upper or lower gut symptoms. Uh, and for some people may just feel like it's yeah just easier on the gut they don't feel so bloated and heavy and this is for individuals even without any gut condition so without irritable bowel syndrome Uh, and so it's just it's not too difficult to to do as we saw with with Karen and and she found it pretty easy so yeah that's uh, one of the the other things that we both tend to do and um, and then again, just depending on the individual in terms of the lead up that we may do that carbohydrate load. And that's just going to depend on the event that they're doing and and personal preference as well. Um, and I think that's mainly it. And then sometimes for some individuals, I might, with that load, depending on, how they feel in the morning, uh, might get them to finish off that carb loading plan the day before a, a particular time, just so then when they're waking, they're, they're kind of waking with a bit of hunger as well, and they're not feeling too heavy.
1: Yeah, yeah. And I think one thing we didn't talk about, I just remembered in the interview around the FODMAP side of things is, a lot of people would say, I don't have a FODMAP issue. And they probably don't when they're eating two or 300 grams of carbs a day on a normal day to day basis. Mm. But when they suddenly carb load and eat seven or eight hundred grams of carbohydrates they might discover they actually do have a FODMAP issue if they eat that amount of FODMAPs
2: exactly uh, and
1: so that's where reducing it down can be beneficial even if you don't necessarily perceive that there's a need to to do that in the first place yep spot on yep mm.
2: yeah um so i think we all would have gotten a lot out of that one and it was good yeah just to see it practically and how how carb loading can be implemented and, and the benefits that it may have for, for individuals. But again, highlight that it, it's really dependent on the event and an individual and what their goals are. So now looking at our next episode, which is 10A, the question that we are going to look at is, should I get a sweat test? And we are very, very lucky to have none other than boom 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 Alan McCubbin our co-host uh
1: getting nervous now
2: getting nervous getting nervous pressure's on I mean no one better really than to to have you on um obviously it's been part of your it was your phd research was all on sodium and and endurance athletes and and exercise so uh and you know so we're going to be really looking at at sweat and and sodium um, in in this uh, episode. It might carry over to a couple episodes. We'll see how we go when we get cracking into it. Uh, but yeah, really looking forward to that. And it's it's such a common question that we both get is questions about sweat testing, questions about sodium intake. So. Um, and I, I think we've, we've had some good, you know, kind of lead-ups to this. You know, we've, we've talked to Ollie about, um, you know, heat and, and thermoregulation and, um, and, you know, talked a bit about sweat rate right there and also with um, Lewis um, in that regard as well. Um, and so it's kind of all now ready, I
1: think, for this question. Yep. Yeah, no, I think it'll be... A good one and as you said a very common question that we get so yeah it'll be, it'll be nice but we'll just have to see if i can shut up or whether we end up having to go to two episodes because i can't stop talking
2: <laughs> it's good it means you're excited about the topic which i know you are yes so.
1: exactly yeah yeah
2: awesome cool so if with social media where can they reach us
1: alan yeah so at the long munch is the handle so uh, we've got that on facebook twitter and instagram so if anyone has any feedback Uh, We'd love to hear from you. If you've got any requests for questions that you'd like answered on the podcast, we'd be very happy to take those suggestions. And we've had a couple of suggestions already that we're in the works of planning episodes for. So, um, yeah, if there's any others out there, then really happy to hear them. Um, If you want to leave us a a rating or review on, on Apple Podcasts, we'd really appreciate that as well because that helps again, spread the information about that podcast out to as many people as possible who get to, to benefit from it as well. So yeah, looking forward to, to hearing and, and interacting with some people. And, and finally, for those of you who are in Melbourne and you are interested in getting involved with some of our research in the lab, I'm sure Steph, Zoyer and myself would love to hear from you. So you can check out the, um, the information about that on our social channels uh, and get in contact for whichever particular study catches your interest.
2: Yeah. yeah, and it's just going to contribute to more podcast questions that we can answer if you get involved. And obviously it's it's contributing to what we know and what we understand and perhaps what we can now then practice in terms of nutrition strategies for endurance. So hopefully it's just going to go to helping benef- benefit performance and health for, for endurance athletes. Yep, yeah, that's the aim. Mm. Awesome. All right. Well, I reckon we are ready to leave everyone in peace.
1: I think so. All right. We'll catch everyone next week.
2: Awesome. See you guys.